2: everyone welcome to another episode of the good music podcast i'm lucas i'm grant and i'm ethan and if you would consider yourself a lover of good music go ahead and hit the subscribe button and follow us on instagram and facebook where you can uh, see what episodes are coming out next and you can uh, get in contact if you have a suggestion but if you have been listening for a while here's some stuff that you can do that would help us out. Thing number one, you can leave a review about how much you love this podcast um, down in the reviews, uh, wherever you're listening helps us out a ton and you might become famous because we will probably read your review if we like it, which we probably will because everyone loves the show. Second thing (laughs) is you can go to the link in the episode description you can go to our patreon and there you will get access to early episodes and our new segment after hours where we will talk about the six worst songs of the artists that we're talking about this week which brings me to lucas who is the artist that we're talking about this week
0: Oh man, this is a artist that I've been waiting to do an episode on for a while and I'm excited that we're finally doing it. This episode is all about Pantera. Woo! I know that Grant's happy about I'm it. I'm very
1: too. happy. You, this is one of those You usually drop a dime covers. bag reference.
0: Yeah, you usually drop a dime bag reference every episode that we do. Yeah, I know.
1: And this episode <laughs> I'll probably be dropping a lot of Van Halen references because there's a lot of similarities there. Mm-hmm. You know, I I would I kind of say that like Pantera is the is the younger more metal version of Van Halen
0: that that's appropriate I mean that well that was the their favorite band
1: and and that's what they would say um the the well let's talk about the members of the band first before we start getting yeah. carried away.
2: Mm-hmm. how many people are in the band so there's only f-
0: so there's only four members in the band and there's only ever been five members in the history of the band
2: so that's is this just bass guitar singer drums all, yes all exclusive okay
0: uh-huh so there's no dual guitars there's no one pulling double duty that's pretty impressive well
1: every once in a while their vocalist will will play guitar you know for a song yeah just in the moment but
0: that's that's more of a rare thing, yeah.
1: though, a special
0: thing. It's no, not part not of not the, on the
1: usual lineup. Not on the record.
0: So we've got, of those four, or I guess of the five total members, three have been on every single record. Wow. And um, you've got the pretty much... The spine of the band, the whole genesis, the core that is created around, just like in Van Halen, is you've got a guitar drummer, uh, brothers. Okay, so you've got, um, Daryl Abbott on guitar, who is, uh, better known as First Diamond Daryl, which was a direct, uh, homage to Van Halen because David Lee Roth's stage name was diamond dave mm. and then event- after pantera makes it big in the mid 90s he switches from diamond daryl to Dimebag daryl which is um definitely his most um familiar stage name and persona mm-hmm. i mean once you once you become this punishing hard heavy metal band diamond daryl just doesn't command the same amount of intimidation yeah. and <laughs> yeah. power yeah but the interesting thing is that I didn't realize how late he switched from Diamond to Dimebag. Because even still on Cowboys from Hell, he's going by Diamond Daryl. Hmm. If you look on the if you look on the credits, it's not until Vulgar Display that he switches to Dimebag.
1: Yeah, that makes sense though, because because that album was right after their transition to different type of music which we have yet to talk about so
0: yeah and then uh, his older brother is uh, Vinnie Paul which his real name Vincent Paul Abbott
1: man what a uh, what a kick in the pants name Vincent
0: yeah <laughs> uh, Vinnie Paul
1: he is
0: I would say top three favorite drummers and most influential drummers of all
2: time for me mm-hmm. wow he... I've never even heard of this guy. Like as a as a drummer, I've never like he ha he's he's not at least it doesn't seem like he's as
1: like he's not he's not in the top top echelon
2: where it's like all drummers would have
1: heard of he's him. He's not like a, a very flashy drummer compared to a lot of other drummers and he there there's also he's being overshadowed by two other really great members of the band. And he'll never drum super fast unless it's needed. But he's always really tight. His drums are always mixed perfectly. He's got them tuned perfectly. He has the best fills and grooves and everything. And he's the perfect drummer for that band.
0: Yes. In fact, really, he's kind of the reason why Pantera is the way they are. Mm -hmm. Because without the drums being tight, the rest of the band can do everything else that they're doing and it just won't be the same um you know my my top two drummers for a long time and still are uh neil pert and mike portnoy you know they're very similar drummers they're they're proggy they're over the top they are very compositional and creative with how they construct their drum parts When I was in college, and I really started getting to Pantera for the first time, I was just so struck by just how powerful, how simple at times the drums were, and yet just how precise and how just clinically precise that they were. and it was whenever I started to learn how to play Pantera songs that I noticed that my drumming overall started to really improve Mm -hmm. because in order to pull off what he's doing, you've got to really be paying attention to what you're doing, not just what you're doing, but the way that everything sounds like clicking into that groove. And I mean, just my drumming took a whole different direction whenever I started listening and playing Pantera songs. And I'm, he's just, he's one of those drummers, probably the more than any other drummer that just like gives me just this intense stink face whenever I listen
1: to them. Yep.
0: <laughs> to where yeah. just, I hear a drum part and I'm just like, oh God, that's so good.
1: I mean, a so lot of Pantera Vinnie, will do that.
0: Yeah. Vinny Paul is just, he is very, near and dear to my heart in a drumming sense. Um, I would say besides my big two no one has influenced me more as a drummer than him. He's the first drummer that made me really start to pay t- attention to other drummers t- in a similar fashion and not just concentrate on the the crazy flashy drummers all the time. I started to really develop more of an ear for groove oriented drummers after after listening to him.
1: Mm-hmm
0: but so that's the center of the band right there two brothers they started it so those those two
2: were the founding members
0: yeah and but then very soon afterwards we have uh rex brown on bass come in who is the the silent unappreciated member of the band as bassists often tend to be
1: he yeah Uh, he is once again one of the most underrated Figures in rock and roll, heavy metal, whatever, very much like Van Halen. I mean, people didn't appreciate Michael Anthony, you know, at the time. But if you really listen into the bass parts on um, some Pantera songs during the solos, you can hear the bass very clearly, and it's really tight with the drums. And it's always moving a little bit, you know, especially on Vulgar Display of Power, especially on those. Songs, the bass is really moving and grooving and doing stuff that you wouldn't really pay attention to if you didn't know that like he can hold his own against these guys. Like Rex Brown is pretty good.
0: Yeah. And uh, in the early days, he also went by a stage name called Rex Rocker, Rex Rocker, which of course, once we get to uh, uh, Cowboys from hell, he drops that and just, It goes by his actual name, Rex
1: Brown. I still call him Rex Rocker.
0: But so those three have been on every record. And the only lineup change has been singer.
1: Really? Wow. And yep.
0: First three records, they had a pretty, pretty terrible vocalist. What I would say is the main reason why their early albums are so weak. And that's uh, Terry Glaze which we won't be seeing any of him in these songs. Oof. And it's on the fourth album that we get the mighty Philip Anselmo Woo-hoo! who is another big reason why Pantera was so big and so influential in the 90s. Is he ushered in a new kind of frontman and
1: singer. He's almost like the like a scary kind of vocalist. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, you would definitely go out and have a drink with him.
0: He's one of those people that is probably one of the most intimidating and terrifying people you would ever meet in your life. But at the same time, you would kind of be in awe of him. Yeah. From all the interviews that I've seen, he's just like this. He's such a strange man. Yeah. He talks exactly the way that he sings. <laughs> that was something that like I thought was hilarious the first time that I heard him speak. I was just like, oh my gosh, he sounds exactly the same. He's got probably the lowest voice I've ever heard in my life. Oh that's true and he's he's one of those guys that he would just beat you up if he thought that you were weak. yeah like he's like I've seen interviews with him. he's talking and he'll just stop and he'll go, why are you looking at me? You wanna fight me? Yeah. <laughs> and and just like, uh, no, no. There was it. A... But then at the same time he'll be like super cool, super chill, and he'll say really funny stuff, but then the next moment he just like will flip the switch and he'll just become super scary.
1: There was an interview. There's a
0: video yeah. of him with and with one of his other brands called Down, yeah, where they're starting the song and he's just like stop the song i don't see any of you guys moshing all you're doing is staring at me you don't stare at me unless you want to fight me and i guarantee you'll lose start the song again <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> he's like completely serious when he says stuff like that and you're just like something is a little wrong with you in the head but it makes for such a compelling front man
1: I think part of it is the copious amounts of alcohol that he has consumed, and the heroin. It, yeah, I mean, well, Pantera <laughs> was one of those bands that, like, and and he said this in interviews that Pantera was one of those bands where it was always about getting the next shot of you know whatever it was.
0: Oh yeah, Al- alcohol was the was the main narcotic of the whole band, and Philip was the one that only one the band that got mixed up with like.
1: Hard right. drugs, and so where the rest
0: of the band was just like functioning. Alcoholics. Right, and it, and it would
1: get to the point where like Dimebag would go to sleep at like eight a.m. and wake up at six p.m. Mm-hmm. for a show. Yeah, because they were drinking. All and, mm-hmm.
0: but Philip actually died once from a heroin overdose.
1: That sounds about right. He
0: uh, he he he, got, he said that he died for two minutes and was brought back. And he said that that was the point when he was just like, crap, I've, I got to get control of Mm -hmm. myself.
1: Yeah. There's, it's funny because some of the early albums, you know, Philip has really quick lyrics, like especially Cowboys from Hell. Like that's just, he's Mm -hmm. firing off lyrics super fast. But in interviews today, he, he speaks so slow. You have to, you have to set the video at like two times speed for you to, you know, not forget the beginning of this by the time it gets to the end <laughs> yeah but yeah
0: so our classic lineup and pretty much the whole lineup we'll be talking about in this episode is you've got dimebag on guitar Vinnie Paul drums Rex Brown bass and Philip Anselmo on yep. vocals
2: so what genre would this cons- be considered to pretty be? Quick.
0: So let's in order to fully answer that let's walk through their history a little bit because they have maybe the most uh impressive metamorphosis of any metal
2: band that I've oh, ever yeah. seen. So I Euro. guess when when what year were they founded then? Like start me there. So their
0: first album came out in 83. And when that album came out, Dimebag was only 17 mm. years old. But if you listen to that album, it's not a great record. I mean, obviously, you can tell that it's made by, you know, untested,
2: you know, kids. Were, they, were they always called Pantera?
0: Yes, Pantera was always well. Originally, the the band was going to be called Pantera's Metal Magic, and then they just called that it Pantera. First album uh, Vinnie magic. Paul said that a that a guy uh, from his school suggested the name. He was like, you should call your band Pantera. And they were just like, cool, and that's just always been the name. Mm -hmm. Which is Spanish for Panther, by the way. I didn't learn that until way too late. (laughs) I should have known that longer than I Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, Pantera's always been the name. And their first... So their first four records you cannot stream you cannot buy them the only way you can hear them is if you listen to them on youtube mm-hmm. pretty much or if you just happen to get lucky and get like a rare uh copy that was sold back in the day because it was not released on a major label their dad uh the abbott brothers dad actually owned a small little independent label that he released their first four records on. Hmm. And so because of that, they don't really have any uh, distribution deals to release those. Plus also they themselves have had really disowned those first four Hmm. records. They never played them live. Um, They've just won. They made their, their fresh start in 1990 it was almost kind of like it was like a debut album. It was again. it was a
1: completely new band because they were such they were like glam metal before that. They did the makeup and everything, and it yeah was... yeah. So
0: like those first those first records, you know, sound like Kiss. <laughs> uh The Van Halen influence is especially strong there. You can hear Motley Crue and. All that stuff. and But the interesting thing, cause I had never listened to the albums before until getting ready for this episode, um, because this was an album or this is a band that I didn't have to do a lot of listening for because it, I was already very familiar with their whole catalog. But I had never listened to the old records before just because I'd never gone out of my way to to hear what they look like or sound like. And um, the first record is, like, not even really metal that much. It's more like a hard rock record. Like, it's definitely like a combo of Kiss and Van Their
1: their first glam record? Okay.
0: Yeah. And then the second one, uh, Projects in the Jungle, you can hear them start to get a little heavier. Uh, Vinnie Paul starts to bring out the double bass more. The riffs get a little... Uh, heavier but it's still like more like you could say they've upgraded in heaviness from Kiss and Van Halen to um, to Motley Crue and then the third record Shadows in the Night is more like oh this is more of like a Judas Priest record so it's getting a little heavier still you would consider it glam and then the fourth record is the really interesting one which is Power Metal, came out in 88. And it's the, actually the first one with Phil Anselmo on vocals. And that one actually sounds a lot like Painkiller, but two years before Painkiller. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, it's actually the one that I listened to. And I was just like, this album kind of is awesome. I mean, it's still not as good as any of the five that came after it. But I was just like, this album should be remembered. Because this is actually yeah, pretty cool. Um, you would actually be really um, shocked to hear Phil's voice on here. Because he sounds exactly like Rob oh, Halford. Oh, wow. He sounds exactly... And like the the painkiller Rob Halford. The good
1: Rob Halford. There's no bad Rob
0: Halford. So his... No, but just in that right. style. And so it's just, it's almost kind of like you would think that Judas Priest heard that record and was just like, oh, we need to go in this direction for mm-hmm. Painkiller, which ended up being one of the big seminal turning point records of the 90s. And so then by that time, once Phil entered the band, that's really when. Uh, the band started to shift because a lot of the tension that was in the band before was that their original singer, Terry Glaze, hated all the really heavy stuff. Because by the mid eighties, everyone else in the band was starting to get into Metallica and Slayer and Megadeth and all that. And he was more of just like, I just want to sing glam metal. I want to be sunset strip. And they were just like, ah, we want to start moving towards the heavier stuff. And when Phil came in, they said that he was like a heavy metal dictionary, that he was pulling out, like, the extreme stuff. Like, he was already listening to death metal, and he was also super into hardcore punk and was just, like, pulling out all the stuff that's now considered underground classics, but at the time not many people knew about hmm. And so he was the one that also told them, we need to ditch the makeup, ditch the costumes. We're just going to dress the way that we want to dress. And we're not going to do any, because when they finally got signed to a major label, they were expected to be a big glam band. And Phil was the one that convinced them, no, we don't have to, we don't want to do that anymore. Let's make truly heavy music and take metal in a new direction so really you got to credit phil for pushing the band in that direction mm. even though the rest of the band was similarly minded and liking the music phil was the one that really gave them the confidence to say screw the man we're gonna he do what we catalyst. want
2: i was going yeah. to originally ask like where metallica fit into the puzzle because i hear a ton of uh, yeah in, in, in so, the six songs i was like this sounds like metallica inspired or something yeah
0: so the way the way you can really look at the big metal bands is that at any one time there was one band that you could say was flying the flag that was the big metal band that was pushing the genre forward and at the time that this new Pantera was emerging, which the you could say their, their official relaunch was Cowboys from Hell in 1990. Uh, most people would even consider that that's their true debut record because it's when Pantera became Pantera, the one that we know today. At that time, Metallica was the big metal band. A year later would be when they released the black album, which was Inner Sandman, and wow. that huge record. But you know, up until that point, they had, you know, the big metal albums were Master of Puppets and Justice for All. You know, they were definitely seen as the leaders of the metal scene in 1990, but honestly, that didn't last long once Pantera showed themselves and asserted themselves especially when the follow-up vulgar display of power came out they that's when they took over as the 90s metal band in my opinion no metal band was greater in the 90s than pantera was they had the the entire decade by the throat
2: the entire 10 years
1: well yes i don't know about the entire 10 years it probably started later than 1990, but they, but, well, yeah, later, their reign also extended into the
0: early 2000s. I would say from 92 to like 99, like Pantera was untouchable. They were, they were so influential because, and now we can talk about a little more about why Pantera is important, why we would dedicate an episode to them. They sit up with Black Sabbath, with Iron Maiden, with Metallica as being the, not just the one of the best metal bands ever, but one of the most important and most influential because up until then, Groove did not exist in metal. Metal was rough, it was fast, it was kind of sloppy. I mean, yes, you had some moments that were tight. Like, Metallica had a tightness to them. But also, at the same time, you can only get so tight when you have Lars no. behind the kit. Ooh. Um, like, you know, yeah, they they brought a chugging and a palm-muted technique to metal. But that you wouldn't really, like, consider... Metallica a grooving band. They were yep. they were thrash. So it was it was fast, it was white knuckle. Pantera was the first metal band to really just tighten everything to bursting point.
1: Yep. I would
0: I would still say that they're the tightest metal band that has oh, ever
1: Play. They are they are polar opposite from Iron Maiden. Not to say that Iron Maiden is, is sloppy. Yes, but we talked about that episode.
0: They're a loose band. That's, right. that's kind of by design. And their
1: vocals are always very clean or, or close to very clean, and they're about these fantastical things. Whereas you know, Pantera, it's like the guitars are very rough, and the vocals are very mm-hmm. you know rough, and the lyrics are very rough, and so. It it's totally different. You're right, and I didn't see this before, but it's totally different from what was happening at the time in metal.
0: Hmm. And so, pretty much, when the '90s uh, happen, you have metal bands really going one of two directions. Either. Metal bands try and follow the Metallica way, which is go mainstream and try and, and get on radio and grunt. Pretty much, and I mean, you could things. almost say that right. they, yeah, the yeah. Go, it's the same goal. Or they will try and go the Pantera way, which is what Slayer tried to do because Slayer knew that they weren't ever going to go grunge and get on radio. So their mid-90s, you could say it's a failure because those were really when their weakest albums came out, was they were trying to, instead of doing the the Slayer way of just fast, unrepentant heaviness, they tried to adopt more of a groove. And no one, there were a lot of imitators and the bands that tried to pivot more towards groove really did not succeed
1: it was just a new concept and nobody had fully absorbed really what groove was because it's, it's very i i mean this you know not in a very simplistic way but it's a lot easier to write thrash than it is to write groove because you know thrash has mm-hmm. these very particular things about it you know you have that that chugging mm-hmm. one note you know with chords in between you do the one two one three kind of pattern of a riff and you know you put a chorus in here with some I don't know screaming fantastical you know uh, lyrics whereas groove it's like you you have to feel the music again whereas thrash you didn't mm-hmm. you had to experience it and you had to kind of like feel the emotion behind it and feel the speed and feel the technicality but, but groove you had to feel uh-huh. the groove
0: Yeah. And just, yeah, that Pantera just completely reinvented. I mean, so like the, think of your common metal groove now, how most metal grooves today, you have the guitar and the double bass playing together. That was not super common thing before Pantera. Of course you had bands that did it. Like, you know, you can look at one by Metallica where it's got the digga 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 digga. But you wouldn't write whole right. songs around the double bass and the and the drums or the double bass well, and the guitar matching unless these you were complex you rhythms.
1: But that's just, yeah. That's just but fans. and even then,
0: <laughs> yeah, Pantera <laughs> was one of the first bands to introduce, and they were definitely the first ones yeah, to perfect it of the idea of having guitar and drums working in perfect unison. And having the double bass playing these complex grooves over or complex patterns over this your standard four four and, and you
1: cannot discount um, Rex Brown, Rex Rocker, his you know uh, influence in all of this because you have to have a tight bassist that will be able to play that as well. And if you do listen to mm-hmm. a lot of the riffs, you know we talked about the solos, how the bass is doing its own thing, but if you listen to the actual riffs there are very few times I think in any Pantera song where Dimebag and and Rex are playing two different things and that has to do with Mm -hmm. their sound and their the tone that's behind them the the drums are Pantera is mixed to be played very loud it's mixed to be played on a huge sound system in front of hundreds of people with the biggest speakers you can find and so the drums are very clicky Uh, And the guitars are really scooped and really just like, if you break it down, Dimeback's tone is not good on paper. It's not a good tone, but the reason why it works is because you have those clicky drums to be able to keep the rhythm and you have a great growling bass tone that can bring in the the low mids and, and the really lows and fill out the sound. And so they, Dimebag doesn't have to worry about, you know, putting those lows in his tone that'll end up muddying up everything. And instead, you can have that really weird, almost digitally altered guitar tone. And people have tried to get that tone for years and years and years, and it's almost impossible. Um, Phil Anselmo uh, has commented before that. Uh, Dimebag was never happy with his tone. He was always changing and always tweaking and always trying to make it better. And, I mean, as you look through the Pantera albums, it does get better. I would say that kind of dips during Far Beyond Driven. I think that's the worst tone that he has of all the albums. But other than that, his tone consistently gets better and better and more mixable. And all of them do. By the time you get to Reinventing the Steel, you have some of the greatest, you know, guitar tone, drum mixing, drum tuning, whatever. And so their tone is also designed to be played in the context that you'd listen to their music in that really heavy, really groovy in your face, literally punch you in the face um, kind of tone kind of music.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So what we're looking at in this episode is, is that is that incredible five-album run. So let's kind of run through yep. what that period looks like. So you've – in 1990 is the rebirth. That's Cowboys from Hell, which um, they're – this is – it's not an album that is super big, but it's definitely the album that, like, turns everyone's heads and goes, oh, look at this over here. These these guys are going to be good.
2: Uh, that's
0: but it's not the world conquering record yet. It's the next one in 92 when vulgar display of power comes out. That's like the big, important game changing record. It's the reason why we, I picked three songs from that record to talk about in our song section. Um, This one of the most probably important metal albums ever made. And we'll get into more reasons why when we look at the songs that we picked from it. And so that puts them... That album is what mm-hmm. puts them at the top of the metal uh, scene. Where, they, where I would say they took the flag and they kept it aloft. Um, and so then you've got Far Beyond Driven that comes in, I believe, 95. And that album actually... Debuts at number one wow. on the Billboard. Probably the heaviest,
1: darkest record to ever I have do never so. Never listened to that album all the way through. It it is.
0: I had never really listened to it all the way through before either, until recently. And I have to say. I think it's one of my favorites now because I used to not like it it's as much. It's certainly my
1: top five Pantera. But options, say that,
0: <laughs> lol. Um, I man, to me, I think it can go toe to toe with really? Display. It is, especially because. The only weakness Pantera albums tend to have is they tend to be a little too front-loaded, and they get a little weaker at the back half. But Far Beyond Driven and the following one, uh, Great Southern Trend Kill have the benefit of being really well paced to where you've got great songs at the beginning middle and end I
1: remember you saying at one point that Great Southern Trendkill was your favorite Pantera album it still is
0: it is Uh, yeah Uh, so that's the one that comes out in 97 which also if you notice when you listen chronologically through every album gets heavier and heavier Which was an intentional decision by them because usually once you get big, you try to get softer and softer to get mass appeal, which is what Metallica did. And when Vulgar Display got super big, they got a lot of pressure from their label to be the next Metallica and to make radio songs and soften their sound and they intentionally said no and not only are we going to do that but we're actually going to become less accessible and you're going to (laughs) watch us get bigger because of it.
1: that is such a fill thing to do (laughs) yep I mean
0: far beyond driven is exponentially heavier than vulgar and then somehow great southern trend kill is even heavier and darker than that no I but then you get to a point where it's just like you're really not going to out heavy Great Southern Trend Kill. And so then you kind of have a little bit of an evening out with Reinventing the Steel, which is the
1: final record. I will Pantera record. say this, that just because we're talking about Pantera being super, super, super heavy does not mean that they don't have light parts to their songs or entire light songs. Yes. You know, like Planet Caravan, which is technically a cover, you know. It, it's still much lighter than anything else they've ever done and two of the songs on this list uh-huh. have very light parts but there's always something that makes it a little bit more sinister and and play into the heaviness of
2: hmm,
1: yeah so let's let's
0: talk about why reinventing the steel is the last record and kind of what happens to the band afterwards.
1: I oof. It is. It's, it's it's tough. Yeah. Well, I know what happened. I know why Damage Plan broke up, uh, unfortunately, because that's that's yeah. just a legendary story. Um, <laughs> but no, I don't know why mm-hmm. the broke up.
0: For all. So the big st- tension as we get through the '90s comes between the band and Phil. Yeah, as expected. Yeah. Um, especially once, once the uh, once the heroin addiction sets in with Phil, it just starts to create this huge wall between them. Great Southern Chin Kill—they didn't even record in the same wow. state. Um, because by the way, I didn't mention this earlier, but the band is from Texas, which is a really that unique place for a right. metal band
1: they to are come. So, yeah
0: um but the band recorded that album in texas and phil ensemble recorded it in louisiana the vocals and so just like they were on such bad terms you know he was in the really the height of his addiction that it just like became this this huge contention point between them And um, it was also during that point that he had his overdose, died for a couple minutes, came back, and they were able to repair um, their tensions temporarily to do Reinventing the Steel in 2000. But um, just at that point, I feel like also you can sense if you look through a lot of the interviews – that after going through all the drug abuse and probably also being dead for a couple minutes, that Phil was not the same guy.
2: It might change yeah. your perspective on things.
0: Yeah. I think I think that there's, there was probably a little bit of brain damage that happened through all that experience. And um, just also the fact that they... Um, had their huge tour that they were going to do for that album interrupted by nine eleven, which did not help at all. The first day of the tour was on nine eleven. They flew to where they were supposed to, and then nine eleven happened, and they had to mm-hmm. go back. And the whole mm-hmm. tour was canceled because of it.
1: Ooh.
0: And at that point, um, Pantera wasn't broken up in a sense of they were never going to play again but they knew that they needed time away from each other and so that's when damage plan formed which was the side band of dimebag and vinny because those two were always going to stay mm. together and then the the tragic story um on the first tour of damage plan's new record um Ten minutes into the show, a deranged fan jumped onto stage and shot Dimebag now, three you times. you know in the exactly
1: face. everything surrounding that, right? It's it's quite it's a really weird story. So yeah, um, they were they were talking about you know him and Vinny were kind of talking about ooh, what if we got Pantera back together and and they were kind of thinking about you know whatever and they were talking about it actually with the brothers of Van Halen. They actually got to meet them, and um, Dimebag actually like formed a really good relationship with Eddie. And so, you know, they would talk about guitars and they talk about guitar tone and whatever. And they actually formed a really good friendship. And, and coincidentally enough, you know, Dimebag still had like weeks to live. Um, and so they, you know, they've always been great fans of Van Halen, like we talked about. And they were playing that show. It was it was like. they said it was only a couple hundred people i think at the show um because they damage plane was not a big band and so they had right before they went on stage looked at each other they said van halen which was their code to just like let it all out and have a whole bunch of fun and so they start the first song and it wasn't 45 seconds It, it it wasn't 10 minutes it was 45 seconds some guy, some oh, guy I didn't realize it was stage, only four. And they're like, "Oh, is somebody want to stage dive?" Because they were that kind of band, just like Pantera. But instead, he pulls out a gun and just shoots Dimebag in the back of the head, or maybe in the, maybe it's in the face, but I think it was in the back of the head. And and Vinnie Paul had to watch it happen too. And so, the reason why he did it is he was he was a, a military. I think he was a military service member who was discharged. Um, because he had really bad PCSD or something that led to uh, schizophrenia. And so he had this belief that Pantera was taking lyrics that he wrote. And so he's going to go get revenge on Dimebag. And, and that's what he did. Um, but mm-hmm. because, you know, Eddie Van Halen and, and Dimebag had become good friends. But at that point, you know, Eddie decided he was going to bury one of his guitars with Dimebag. And Dimeback really liked, you know, Van Halen 2 and the guitar on Van Halen 2, the the Bumblebee guitar. And so he decided he was going to bury that with him. So the actual original guitar that's used to record Van Halen 2 is buried with Dimeback. In a Kiss coffin. I didn't know that part.
0: Yeah, it's a Kiss coffin as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like a movie or musical where it's like you find.
0: Yeah. I would, I would say it's the most tragic death. Right. In the history of metal.
1: It's kind of like a, like a TV series where you got to like, give that character their perfect ending, but you Mm -hmm. can't find out how to get rid of them. You know, it, it, yeah,
0: it was it's it's super especially you add in the whole fact that, you know, his brother was on stage right. with him and saw it. Right. And then it's all just
1: Yeah. And it's so coincidental that they formed a relationship with the Van Halen brothers too. Like it's good.
2: How old how old was he when he passed? He
0: was I think he was like if 41 he was 17 or something like that.
1: Then it was two thousand four, so he would have been thirty eight.
0: So, okay.
1: Somewhere easy. in that area.
0: Yeah, and then, uh, then Vinnie Paul died like three years ago now. Oh
1: gosh, yeah. I think he so. had a
0: he had a heart attack.
1: He was yeah. a big guy.
0: Um, that was that was a that was a really sad morning for me because I woke up and saw that on my phone. So, because there there had been rumors even up to that point for a while about a partial, obviously it would always be a partial Pantera reunion. Um, about maybe getting Zach Wilde That'd to play guitar or getting you know get like a or get like a revolving door of great guitar players to do like a couple of oh, yeah. one off yeah. shows just to, in honor of Dimebag, but the um the tensions between specifically Vinnie Paul and Phil Anselmo never healed. They Vinnie didn't even let Phil come to the funeral to Dime's funeral. Like he specifically told him if you show up, like you're gonna be you're I'm gonna make sure that you're you forcibly think a
1: removed. Lot of, like Vinnie Paul blaming Phil for it maybe.
0: Yeah, there was there was some rumors, especially like there were some rumors that maybe Phil had like put out the hit on Dime, which I don't think that Vinny believed that. that, But I think that I think that he blames him for the reason why Pantera couldn't keep going forward, and maybe in his mind he's thinking if Pantera had never broken up, that this wouldn't have Mm -hmm. happened. But where's Rex? Rex, um, he was in a band called uh, Devil Driver. That sounds right. I believe he's kind of just a guy that's kind of kept a low profile, pretty much. The typical bassist move. Yeah, I
1: I kind of like to um, joke around with my dad about how the our bassist in Area Fifty Two is just like Rex Brown. I mean, he, he looks like him, he plays <laughs> yeah. just as good, and he just, he's totally just go with the flow and, and plays, does his part and does it really well. I think I, I think he looks like Iggy
0: Pop. <sighs> I thought that the the first time I ever saw him, I was just like, oh, Iggy Pop's oh our bass player, cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't think that at all. I definitely uh, immediately thought Rex Brown, but it's interesting that you noted that zach wilde would have been a a candidate for like a pantera partial reunion because dimebag and zach wilde were actually really good friends and and if you listen to both of their guitar tones you can kind of see it i feel like he probably would have been the best fit without a doubt
0: there, I, feel, I feel like their styles are similar enough that it could have worked, and definitely they've they he's got the skill as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Dime was one of the, he's one of the few people that you could make an argument for being the greatest metal guitar player yeah. of all
1: time. He was, he is like the Van Halen of my generation of music of musicians mm-hmm. and the fact that if you can play like Dimebag like you're in everybody's garage band instantly.
0: Yeah, and and he was so revolutionary for heavy metal guitar. I mean just again, we talked about the fact that they're the ones that introduced tightness mm-hmm. and groove into metal. But then also just not only was he such a tight player, but he was such a soulful yeah. player as well and it really those come his out of solos, his solos. Are,
1: are the most complex enigmas not of like how uh what notes they are but like how he came up with it because they're always blazingly fast uh-huh. but they feel like so much there's so much heart in them
0: yeah and th- he uh Vinnie Paul always credited that to their Texas blues upbringing that he always, that he had the yeah. blues in him and that, that was what was able to uh, influence the emotive part of his right. guitar and,
1: playing. And we talked about Van Halen, about how he kind of, you know, influenced um, guitar and whatever. But after Van Halen, there wasn't anybody to really, revolutionized the, the floating bridge tricks and all that stuff but Dimebag could do, make crazy noises and, and make the guitar sound like stuff you've never heard before using you know a com- mm-hmm. uh, a combination of like overdubbing and uh, the floating bridge and and stuff that we all as guitarists just do now in like our bedrooms you know It's like that's stuff that he came up with. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. Well. Mm. uh, Unless, Ethan, you've got any more questions.
2: I think my. My. the, the, The biggest question that I have. That is unanswered is like. Do we have any story on like. What the inspiration behind. Uh. Like those breakout albums that they had, especially vulgar, vulgar display of power. Like, do we have any record of like them being like uh, metal is this way, and we want it to be this way? Like, what was their inspiration for taking such a big turn?
0: Um. Well, so they again they had been influenced by Metallica. You know, they were really leaning more towards the thrash style, but to me. I think that the reason why they created such an incredible new sound was the fact that uh, Phil Anselmo was a big uh, hardcore punk fan. And I think that they had this... They were able to build this perfect blend of the... um, you've got you cuz he's really a punk singer especially and he becomes more of a punk singer as the albums progress cuz you can still hear a lot of the Judas Priest inspiration in some tracks on
1: uh, oh yeah there's a lot
0: cowboys from hell <laughs> but once you get to vulgar display all of that really disappears and he's just he's a, he's a punk vocalist that just continues to get harder and harder um, I guess you can say there's, they're not really like making a definitive statement of we want to change metal. Rather, it was just they yeah, just. did I think it.
1: that it's a, it's a combination of wanting to do really heavy stuff and having your drummer and guitarist be brothers, because you can you can then that definitely right, helps and, with and the they tightness. can they can go home and then jam together and then come up with the stuff where they would kind of coordinate with each other. And you'd have the guitar parts and the double bass pedal be together.
0: And they had and they had seven years of yeah. training pretty much throughout the 80s. They they had a lot of time to play together and hone what they were doing to a yep. science. And a
1: science it was.
0: And I just I think that that that's just the music that came out of them. I think that obviously I think that once they figured out that what they were doing was having this big appeal, then I think that their, their intentional mission statement was to show how big you could be without compromising. Yeah. I think that that probably if they were to have any kind of, intention of we're going to change things it's not necessarily in the in the what genre they're doing but just trying to be the anti-metallica to say the bigger we get the more the harder the heavier the darker the more obscene we're going to be and we're gonna we're gonna completely build a giant metal empire out of doing things only the way we want to do them
1: Sounds like the story of every band we've talked about. That's pretty budget. sweet.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, just, yeah, they they did not bow to anyone. They, they always made the music that they wanted to make. Mm-hmm. So. Then I think with that, we can go ahead and uh, make a break here. So when we come back... We are going to talk about the six songs that we picked for this episode. So stay tuned.
1: Welcome back to the good music podcast. We just finished talking about Pantera and their history and all the craziness that goes around their music. And now it's time to talk about the six songs that we collected for this episode. So for the are new welcome to the podcast we hope you enjoy it there's plenty of episodes to choose from and lucas could you explain to them what do i mean by six songs
0: yes i will thank you for asking so nicely
1: oh my goodness (laughs) (laughs) um
0: so this this segment is um so that we can talk concretely talk about everything that we were describing in the first segment so we can talk all the time about you know how tight the music was the guitar tone but this is the point where we can really start to dissect what's going on musically as well as for those of you listening that maybe have never heard Pantera or have just a very small uh, understanding of who they are as a band these six songs are going to be your best starting point uh so f- These six songs will give you the best first impression of the band. I'm not picking my six favorites or what I think are the six best Pantera songs. Rather, for someone that is unfamiliar with their catalog, this is your best starting point. As well as, I'm picking and ordering the songs in a way where they have an emotional flow from start to finish that the songs transition well off of each other and that by the end you have a uh, cathartic experience and the way that you can listen to these songs is there is a link in the description of the episode that will take you to a spotify playlist that'll have not just these songs, but all the songs from our previous episodes. So please make sure that you uh, go check those out and um, please go listen to the songs. It would be really weird if you listened to us talk for a while and then didn't listen to the songs. So go make sure that you check those out. All right. So immediately with this first song, I was presented with a really tough choice.
1: Because I think you made the right one.
0: I think so too, but I went back and forth a couple times because they've got two very iconic album openers. Mm-hmm. And it was just trying to figure out what's the better one. And I'll explain kind of why I finally settled with uh, our first song, which is Mouth for War. Woo. So this is the opening track for "Vulgar Display of Power," and it was between this or the title track of "Cowboys from Hell." Originally, I was going to go with "Cowboys from Hell" just because it's kind of like um, you could almost say that it's maybe the most accessible song of theirs. In a sense, just like big song, yeah, yeah, but. For me, Mouth of War or Mouth for War is the best song to really introduce to you what Pantera is like. Because there's Cowboys from Hell doesn't give you as accurate of a picture of what Pantera is really like. Because really that song is still has a lot of 80s holdover. It's Mm -hmm. yes, it does have groove in it, but not as much as you would normally associate with them so with our first song I wanted to have something that just everything in that song tells you exactly what kind of band Pantera is Mm -hmm. I wanted to have the first song have lots of groove um, have a very iconic phil anselmo vocal and as well as a great solo and just like at the end of the day Mouth for War just edged it for me
1: yep yep and and it has the interesting characteristic that not every pantera solo does this but a lot of them do they will actually play chords for the solo which is like yeah i a heavy band doing a chord progression is really weird and they don't always do that but that's that's a that's a notable thing for a band this heavy
0: Mm mm-hmm yeah, so yeah, we've got that that percussive opening line and uh I just this is one of my favorite drum performances of Vinnie Paul's as well. Um this was the this was actually the first song that really made me pay attention to all of the little nuances of his drumming. And cuz I had I had learned cowboys and walk before, and those didn't impact me as much. It was when I heard Mouth for War that I was just like, "Oh, okay, I gotta yeah. really step up my drumming because this is this is incredible uh, drum track.
1: Mouth for War is an incredible drum track, and it's not because of the intense you know tom fills or whatever. It's kind of what we talked about in the first segment. He does a lot of really great grooves. With just a snare. And just the kick and the snare.
0: Really, it's lead drums. He's playing the drums like a lead instrument. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you're telling me, whenever you're defining groove from like a, a metal sense, so that you're saying like that, that hadn't been really done before this like the double bass pedal and the guitar and the bass song kind of being so locked
0: yeah but for me the the big groove in this song is like going is like the yeah. <laughs> groove, uh, and also the chorus groove is just so tight oh. That yeah, yeah, it's this. It's a perfect balance of like, there's a fluidity to it, but at the same time, it's so precise, Mm -hmm. to where it doesn't feel it doesn't feel machine like in the way that like we are now with like gent, to where it's almost just like almost computer like in its precision. It's still just it has that that in little injection of soul in it
1: Mm -hmm. oh i would i would beg to differ i would i would say that the entire okay not the entire song but that pre-chorus riff and that opening riff that sounds like a machine well
0: yeah the 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 the, that that whole section that definitely sounds very um machine tactical yeah but then when you, but yeah, it's when you get into the like where it's the notes are bending and and all that, that's where it feels more human driven. And I think that they just they toe that balance really
1: well. They do, they do with this song. And the way that that um Phil delivers the vocals, specifically on the chorus, is really interesting because there's definitely a note there, he's definitely singing. A particular note it's in tune it sounds great he's in tune with himself because it's overdubbed but it's still like really harsh and intense and that's something that like not a lot of vocalists have you know there is that sweet spot that i think that that phil and kurt cobain and someone like james hetfield all have whereas you can, you can hear some hetfield
0: in that chorus oh yeah yeah yeah
1: and but I would also argue that somebody like, you know, Evil Chuck or, you know, Dave Mustaine even haven't really quite figured out. Certainly in the beginning of both their careers, didn't figure out how to get that sweet spot between note and scream. And yeah. Phil has it perfectly. He's got it down.
0: So Ethan, what do you think of of Phil? Now that we're gonna talk about the songs, what was what was your first impression of Phil Anselmo's voice? I I guess I
2: I I was hearing a lot of Metallica influence in it. it Whatever I listened to it, it's just, just like I guess heavier. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's pretty much my take. Whatever I heard, it, I was just like, oh yeah, and and we, we've talked about this in After Hours a couple times, like, but, and and I, I forget the, I forget, I know the term I'm not supposed to use for yelling, but I know. Yeah, the, you just call it screaming. Like, so, like, the growling and like the. Yeah, you could the, call them harsh vocals. Yeah, har- the harsh vocals. Coming into it, I was like, oh, I'm a little worried that I'm not gonna be able to Vibe with it because it'll be too harsh, mm-hmm. and and it 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 never even I never even thought about it. Mm-hmm. Like it's just executed so well, and, and I don't think it's I don't think it's totally unaccessible for people. Like if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to songs, like the guy's yelling, but it's not like. It, it doesn't, like, suck, you know? Ethan, yeah. Ethan is one like, of those. Like, it's really good, and, it, and it's really good for the song, and, and it doesn't bother me at Ethan all.
1: Ethan is one of those people who thinks that any metal band is basically sounding exactly like Metallica. I mean, he'd said it, you know, about two minutes ago. Um, and he is actually <laughs> okay with these vocals. So if you don't like <laughs> metal, you can bear this. Plus, they're also... I definitely-
2: like it. I like metal it's just usually whenever I equate anything that's heavier than Metallica I think its the vocals are going to be too harsh for me to 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 palate. Yeah. Yeah. Pantera
0: um, for most people is a stepping stone band. They're they're like the band that you that connects you from like the Metallica level of heaviness to the next level.
1: A new level. They
0: they were absolutely that for me. They were kind of the they were the next step going into the the more extreme metal uh, circle. Yeah, and to yeah. where it was this it was a nice uh, evolution because um, like and that's I think that's where Pantera was so successful because metal was getting heavier as time went on they were really able to um like capture a wide audience. Like they were like you think of like football players that like mm-hmm. aren't metalheads, but you know, they like to have like heavy music when they're getting psyched up to go play yes. or while they're working out. Like Pantera was like that band for all those guys. That I was just like, man, I just need something heavy to, yeah, to get me pumped up. Mm. But they don't like go home and listen to Cannibal Corpse or anything. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna find many football players that are just like, man, I just, I love Celtic Frost and Entombed and, and and Cryptic Slaughter and all that stuff. Yeah, but you know, most of them loves a couple Pantera songs just because it just, it hits that nice balance of really intense, really energetic, but also at the same time, it has this
2: um, approachability to it. I was pretty surprised that like at the very, very end of the song, they do that like way faster part. Yeah. That just, it
0: just, it's, it double times. Yeah. I think it's a great switch, especially because of the fact that like, it was awesome you would think that a normal band would go to that switch and they would stay there a lot longer. And I love that they just kind of just end yeah. the song right there. It's just kind of like it leaves you wanting more.
2: So what's what's this song about?
0: So this song, by the way, um, Philip Anselmo is the writer of pretty much all the lyrics for the band. Um, this song is about... And this, you can really say that this is kind of a theme throughout all of Vulgar. There's an attitude. Um, it's about him taking the criticism of others and turning it around as motivation.
1: Oh, that's true. Uh,
0: you, you use your mouth for war, but all of your hate and all of your. Criticism that you direct me just makes me stronger. It just makes me more determined to prove you wrong. You think that you're tearing me down, but you're actually building me up.
2: That's pretty dope.
0: When I channel my hate to productive, I don't find it hard to impress. And so he's just like, you know, just like, and he's and it's a message for everyone saying instead of being affected by what other people tell you, just use it as fuel. Don't, don't let, don't let the sticks and stones break your bones or, and just, you know, use it as motivation to show them all wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you really, you really see kind of a progression of what Philip, because at this point, Phil is almost still a fairly normal dude this is still pre-drugs and so he's got a very um, a very I mean yes he's they're still writing about pretty intense dark subject matter but it's not cynical and pessimistic yet which it would be by the next album Far Beyond Driven um, it's very vulgar display is a very aggressive confrontational record where it's it's a you know, very much don't don't mess with me or I'll mess you up,
1: kind of. Oh thing. yeah, and, that's kind and of that's,
0: that's kind that, of the theme throughout the whole record, where you get to far beyond driven, and it's all about inward pain.
1: And that's mm. kind of um, evident in the album covers of both of them. Uh huh. Right. If you look at the at the. First of all, the, the Cowboys from Hell album cover is just them being dumb. Yeah. But the the vulgar display of Power um, album cover, Vinnie Paul has said this, and I don't think it's true. I've heard it's not true, is that they had somebody <laughs> there and they paid him like $1 per punch until $10, they got it. I think it
0: was $10 per punch.
1: $10 per punch until they got it right. And they and punched they him punched like 10 him. times. Yeah, they punched him in the face. But it was more than that, but but they wanted to get it just right because they're like, "Ooh, what's something that's really like metal, like punching someone in the face?" And like, <laughs> yeah. of course, they would think of that, right? And but the Far Beyond Driven album cover—it's like it's a skull with a screw in his head. Mm-hmm. It's it's like being tortured. Instead yeah, it, of fight. You know,
0: and that's and that and at that point, that's when philip started having all of his drug problems and and with him being the main lyric writer everything's being written from his perspective
2: Mm.
0: yeah and then and then by the time you get to southern trend kill the aggression is back but the aggression is coming from a place of self-loathing rather than a um you can't break me mentality
1: yeah, the self loathing is apparent on that album.
0: Yeah. The in yeah, in Southern Trendkill, the self loathing has turned into loathing of others. Yeah. And so it's interesting to kind of see the progression through that. But yeah, in Vulgar, there's very much still a determination, a you know, a mm-hmm. hunger to prove everyone wrong. And Mouth for War is is, is, is that's what it's about it's just about you know we're gonna we're gonna do things our way and no matter what you say you can't bring us down
1: now you did note earlier on that they could have gone you know for longer with that fast section uh-huh and that's something that's really also important i think with pantera is that we just came off of it, when cowboys from hell was released you know, there's, like, 12, 13 songs on the album. It's, like, a really long album.
0: Uh-huh. And, we, and, like, and some
1: of the songs are pretty long, too. Right. It, but we had just come off of, like, uh, Rust in Peace and uh, "And Justice for All. And, of course, you have Iron Maiden making songs that are, like, 20 minutes long and whatever. Okay, mm-hmm. not that long. Not that long, but. No, <laughs> thirteen would be a good Thirteen, number. there we go. Yeah, thirteen minutes long. And Pantera is, is notable. A notable metal band is that they never really did epics. They it was. Although always, we do
0: have we do have one epic on here. It's not an epic. I mean, I guess epic for them.
1: For them, it's an epic, but for the rest of us, it's just a longer song because they have to have the space to be able to, uh, you know. Create that mood, and they do but have yes. those moody songs like "Floods." I'm, I was really surprised to not see "Floods" on this list.
0: Well, the main reason for it being just because
1: <laughs> you that's
0: that's that's a really dark song. Yeah, and I felt that we. I my main goal with this first episode is to win over someone that would be in Ethan's position that's not normally into this kind of heavy. And so I'm thinking, you know, someone that's not a normal listener of metal. What's the song of six that I can get them persuaded over into Pantera? And then well, the next step is let's do some of the even heavier, darker stuff.
1: Well, you you know what I mean, though? And, and, and yeah, like they're not we're not doing multiple movement like yeah. grandiose, like musical style songs. Most they're of their very, songs like, are under five minutes.
0: Yeah, they're very much get in, get out,
1: and so they the don't they don't play
0: around with tons of different song sections and
1: yeah. you know it's it's no riff overstays its welcome.
2: Yeah, I agree. Yeah.
1: No, there there are many, many, many riffs in one Pantera song, and all of them flow together perfectly, and they cut the song right at the point when you start getting used to it. And so it never gets boring. They're, yeah. re- they're really good at that.
0: Well, I think we can uh, go ahead and move on to the next song. With because this. of the fact that uh, Mouth for War ends so suddenly, we can immediately keep the pace moving with our second track, which is Becoming.
1: So there is the running gaff that will not really gaff. But that Lucas's second picks are always really bad. Okay. I will say that I have not heard this song before this podcast, and that's the only one on this list that I hadn't heard Wow.
0: Well,
1: it's because it's from Far Beyond Driven. Yes, exactly. Um, And so... uh, But I really did enjoy this. I don't want to say it's the weakest of the set, because I think all of the songs are very strong, and I definitely have, like... Caught myself humming this, you know, to myself. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not my favorite. But it's a great song. So it kind of breaks the loop. It kind of breaks the loop of the really bad second song.
0: Yeah. By the way, um, I put uh, Mouth for War at number uh, seven on
1: the ranked list. And Becoming is.
0: Becoming is uh, number. 16. Hmm.
1: One through 15 uh, are pretty good then.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you look at everything that comes after, and it's just like, God, it's hard to argue against that. Yeah. Um, becoming, though, is it has always been a personal favorite of mine, mainly because that drum track is so brutal. Yeah. That double bass pattern that he plays, like, that's one that I still have not figured out. Well, I I figured it out, but I can't get myself to play it. <laughs> it's so difficult. Yeah.
2: Look <laughs> at the look.
0: Yeah. The the like the hurtas that are going on underneath.
1: It's just. It sounds like pain just like yeah. trying to execute that
0: i've i've looked up ways to play it and it all the different ways everyone explains it all it's just like god this is just so even hard. though they're all explaining Jeez, it, it it doesn't
2: make it any easier
0: <laughs>
2: yeah no uh uh-uh. <laughs>
1: yeah exactly
0: it's it's almost got a bit of a uh you can hear the
1: the, the van halen yeah yeah
0: it's hot very
1: hot for teacher
0: in that in that double in that double bass
2: groove
1: but But there's a lot of groove in here Uh, that's that's exactly what i was about to say if you're looking for groove this song has it's
2: just so yeah it's so
1: i guess one thing that's more
2: interesting on like a more of a meta level is like hearing like every different genre's definition of what groove is is really really interesting I've never had the mm-hmm. I've never had the conversation with someone outside of like the genre that I play like be like Oh this grooves like and it'd be like not something that I would like say would like from from the genres that I listen to like groove is very like like funk is groove, you know <laughs> mhm. To me,
0: groove is anything that like just you cannot I, help yourself with you. move. Whenever
2: to I it. heard that, I was just like ooh, but not a typical ooh. It's not like a pop ooh.
1: It was like a stank face ooh.
2: but not a pop stank face. Yeah, I think, and
0: I think the thing that helps it is the fact that the guitar is not copying what the drums are doing. It's actually playing more straight. Yeah. And it's letting the, – the drums is playing the more complex part, but it's not yeah. feeling overly busy with the guitar going. It, it, it's just going. And
1: I don't know what just... sound he's doing there, so don't ask me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think it's a harmonic.
0: You'll... You'll... Yeah, it's – there's some weird sounds, including a really – I guess a really abnormal guitar solo. Mm-hmm. Because there's really not like, you know, a lot of melody to it. It almost just sounds like just crazed noise. It's 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 what you would call a slayer solo. <laughs> Don't demean
1: Dimebag to that level.
0: Hey, I when I say it, I it's not demeaning, because I like slayer okay. solos. Okay. But you but yeah, in the sense of like you don't hear a lot of like individual notes or it's it's not even really sounds like a typical dime solo. It's it's a very different
1: type of solo for him. We can go with death solo. Yeah. Where it's like it's not just scraping across the fretboard, but it's not it's not meant to be soulful like the really yeah. fast on Fertrushi's solo either. Uh-huh.
0: It feels like a texture. It's a bit more of an yeah. atmosphere solo. I liked it. Yeah. Whenever
2: I heard it, I was like, that's cool. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's, of it's innovation absolutely they, like, one of the first people in the mainstream to do something like that?
0: Um, no, like I said, um, I would say Slayer was really the first to kind of experiment with those kinds of solos where they're less about where there's not a lot of shredding going on but there's also not a lot of melody going on where it's more of like just again trying to create an an atmosphere or a soundscape with the solo. Yeah, Um, But I think that Dimebag did it better than Slayer did but Slayer definitely got a lot of attention for doing those kinds of solos. And I think that that's probably what he was channeling with that. What is the song about? Um, it's about the pain of transitioning from a boy to a man and about kind of so, uh, Philly and Semmel had a really messed up childhood as is typically the pattern with, all of our songwriters on this podcast. Um, He was uh, into drugs and alcohol, like when he was still a teenager, didn't even finish high school. Um, And just from his point of view, just kind of the, the narcissism of how you feel when you are, Realizing that you're becoming a strong man and the in sense of invulnerability mm-hmm. you have, like he, that 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 feeling of you're above even God himself, you're indestructible, you're invulnerable, and this kind of the he's saying it from a sense of irony about you feel this way, but you really aren't. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so you know. He's, and just kind of, you know, also discovering that you have power with women, you have the, um, you just, you have this, this, this manliness that is now upon you, and you feel like you can do anything with it. But it's just, again, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a darkness behind it that's showing that he says that he used to feel that way, but he no longer does. He's now... Past that point in his life where he's starting to feel fragile, he's starting to feel broken. Hmm.
1: Does that play into um, "I'm Broken"?
0: Yes, I think so. Really, I would say that that song sums up the entire theme of of that album. The whole, the whole idea of you know. I'm I'm broken. I'm hurting. I'm in despair.
1: Because the do I'm sound trying to figure similar. Figure out how to deal with it. The riffs sound very similar.
0: Yeah, I'm broken is is really kind of like the I guess you could say the center song of that whole record. Oh, for sure. It's just again, it's a song that I really wanted to put on this episode, mm. but I was just like, this song's a little too heavy. <laughs> Uh, the vocals are really intense on that song. I was just like I think that we need uh, a song more like becoming that's really I would say that's the lightest besides planet Caravan. That's the lightest song on the album. Wow it's the least heavy song that's on the totally
1: whole pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah yeah uh, I'm broken is is notable because I knew that riff before I knew the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great. It's riff. an iconic riff. I don't know how I knew it, but it's just. I it feel
2: like something. "becoming" is is heavier than "mouth of mouth for war" uh, Yeah, I would agree. So that's pretty surprising mm-hmm. that it's like <laughs> "becoming" is also the the lightest.
0: Yeah, that song on the album. Yeah, like you listen to Far Beyond Driven, and it's just like, okay, we're in a whole other world right here
1: yeah and then listen to great southern trend kill and it's like it's even a the step whole album that. is pretty much primal concrete sledge plus like 10 yeah <laughs> um, but this, so, this is the album that I talked about his tone not being so great especially as you as you put it right up against uh, vulgar display of power but if you guys have nothing else to say we can go back to vulgar display of power and talk about another great groove song with another iconic riff.
2: Yes. So, this
1: song is.
0: That's Walk. I this I had is... no
2: idea that this was them. I, I actually yeah, this song? is like. I took Lucas's advice. It also helps because I don't really know any of the title songs or like I'm, I'm kind of out of this genre. But I was like, I'm just going to listen song by song and just be surprised by the set and this came out and I was like this is pantera you've heard this mm-hmm. song before yeah it's, I, Every, I feel like this is this is like the uh, football rally yeah, cry. like
0: this is like pantera's big song this is their their big hit if i mean if i guess if you could call it a hit um this is like I this is the the song I would expect like a football player to be playing in the locker room before he goes out on the field. This is the song I was thinking of that I feel like everyone did. Um this was the song that made vulgar display of power such a huge record. This song got a lot of rotation on MTV. Um and really this is this has become their defining song.
2: Do you think yeah. that this is deserving but, of their biggest song?
0: I would say so in the sense of just how important and how influential cuz on the rank list I do put it at number 6. Mm. Uh, I think that there are some masterful compositions that eclipse it on a pure musical place, but you cannot deny how important this song was to metal because this was the song that really solidified groove as being an important part of metal the fact that you could have a song that that was this slow yet still Mm. this punishing heavy it was it was something that had never been done before I mean you could say that sad but true kind of did that a year earlier but it was not
1: it was not this punishing
0: no to have just a simple chromatic four note groove
1: just it's really three notes
0: or three notes <laughs> yeah i was i was trying to i was trying to think in my head i'll say i was, I was just like is it four or is it three i can't remember it takes up four eighth notes It's a riff that you would think that just like, there's no way that this could be an iconic riff. It's But it's such a simple idea and just, just the, the restraint that everyone uses the drums, the bass. Um, it's, oh, I
1: don't know about restraint.
0: Yeah, and the restraint, as in
1: they, they pull back when they need to, they don't overplay. No, in the end, yeah, they never overplay, but in the end, they really get to going. Especially, especially Ben yeah. Paul. Hmm. I guess
0: in the sense of just like uh, I feel like another band would try and fill up a lot of the space that's, that's being true. used, especially in the verses. That's true. Yeah. But the fact that they just let it
2: just speak it, for the song itself has a lot of breathing room, which is a part of its charm. It's like ba yeah. ba na na. I feel like a lot of a lot of bands would be like, oh, but we need to do it and that's like, no, we have to do that because that's metal, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, If it were metallic it, like- it would be in four four. Yeah. It wouldn't even, it wouldn't even have the uh-huh. same group at all. Yeah,
0: it's just this this was a rule breaking song. And it created a yeah, it's whole kind of like new shuffle. It, it's like... It's yeah. Like,
2: every... Okay.
0: <laughs> after this song, every metal band tried to create their own walk. hmm It was one of those just songs that just, when they heard, everyone heard it, they were just like, oh, this is the future. We gotta do this.
2: Yep. I love whenever they go
1: to... Like, they
2: just repeat the riff over and over and over at the end. I thought it was good, good arranging. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, because yeah. and that plays into a lot of like Vinnie Paul being a great drummer and the fact that that mm-hmm. riff is not changing at all. It's but, but rather the grum, drum right, groove it's the is drum changing. groove yeah. is changing exactly. Yeah. And and that's one of the things I when I first heard this song it was on the radio and I absolutely hated it. But and it wasn't like weeks and weeks until I'm like you know I'm going to go back and revisit that song because maybe there's something there and so I you know put it on YouTube or whatever and I I decided that I actually kind of liked it and that was kind of this song was you know it's everybody's introduction to Pantera this wasn't what got me hooked on them but there was there was a comment down in the the comment section and it was some guy was saying that 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 was the power of dime bag that he was able to take a two note riff Mm -hmm. and turn it into something that's so powerful and punishing at such a slow tempo too it it Mm -hmm. plays into the tone that he crafted plays into it and also just the tone from his hands because you know that's where tone comes from it's coming from the hands and so it's that's a credit to them to be able to pull off something like this that compositionally is super simple. Yeah. It's,
0: it's very much a less is more. It's yeah.
1: Definitely. There's a lot of songs on that album that I would say are like that.
0: It's it's yeah. It's if you could say that um, mouth of war is the lyrical theme, Then the musical theme is these very simple riffs that are just Mm
1: -hmm.
0: so tight and so groovy. Yeah. Because again, you you look at where metal was at that time. Thrash, you know, had moved beyond just simple chugging riffs and had moved into these, you know, let's create the craziest
1: riffs possible. (laughs) Wake up, Dead.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and Holy Wars. No, Holy Wars isn't that bad. well, just in the sense of just it's become more and more. Technical. It's, a, it's a speed
1: contest instead of musicality. Yeah, as well contest. as a as well as a shred. I, I would say that that Con- the, a lot of the guitarists hasn't hadn't fallen into the you know speed kills trap, the speed trap, <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, a significant number of them had at that point, and I would say that that. Kirk Hammett was getting very, very close to that. Whereas the those early albums, which really you can't count kill them all because Dave wrote those, but the early Kirk Hammett solos were very, you know, fast and technical, but they had you know great writing to them. But if you listen to some of the some of the stuff, especially on Dyer's Eve of And Justice for All, it's starting to get crazier and crazier and crazier. And and that's kind of indicative of the fact that the guitarists can't really keep up dime bag daryl if you listen to the walk solo it's super fast and it's one of those solos that i and i said this i think about the jump solo too it's one of the very few solos that i actually set out to try and learn and unfortunately i wasn't able to to learn the walk solo but it's it's so weird and it's so technical (laughs) but also it's got that texas blues to it you know
0: yeah, it's a really weird solo. It almost, it almost just, it feels like it's disjointed from the rest of the song, but yet somehow it works. A lot like Van Halen. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So yeah, this was this was the important song for them. Without this song, um, they would not have risen to the level that they did. Uh, even though I put it six overall this is the most important song that they ever made and ever released yeah and you know if you want to get into lyrics very simple you know just either give me respect or walk on home (laughs) because if you keep pissing me off I'm gonna beat the crap out of you
1: (laughs) yeah walk on home boy
0: Hmm, And I think that this song really uh, solidified Phil Anselmo as the, as the super intimidating guy that he is now yeah. known as. Like, when you hear him, it doesn't sound like a poser wannabe. Like, you hear him say that, and you're just like, he means exactly what he's saying. He's not playing a character here. He's not trying to act tough. Like Phil Anselmo is the kind of guy that if you don't give him respect, he will fight you and he will win. Yep, (laughs) that's the
1: impression. And he looks like it too. You know, because sometimes he'll have he'll Mm -hmm. have no shirt on for their performances, and the dude is ripped. Like you do not want to get on his bad side. And he's just he's just got the the scariest
0: looking face. Yeah. He's just, his eyes just look like they're ready to spill blood at any moment. And the way he <laughs> does
1: his lip, too. That's almost kind of funny. Uh, but at the same time, like, I feel bad saying that because I think he's going to come hunt me down now. <laughs> yeah. What did you say? Funny, funny, funny thing is that
0: uh, my son Harry loves this <laughs> song.
1: <laughs> Good.
0: And I caught him. I just heard him in the house going, Wee! Spat! Walk! And he started calling, for a week, he called everyone punk. (laughs) Like, uh, we had had said something to him, and he said, What'd you say, punk?
2: (laughs) I
1: was just like, I'm proud of you,
2: son. Yeah, good job. Raising a nice, strapping young lad.
1: Yeah. Oh, boy.
0: Because, you know, whenever I get ready for these episodes, it's like I listen to this artist exclusively for about a week straight. And so with Pantera, I had to be really careful about what songs he heard and which he yeah. didn't because a lot of them have bad yeah. language in them. Yeah. But Walk was one of the ones I was just like, this this is okay. And so he heard that one quite a bit.
1: <laughs> That's awesome.
0: So, um, at this point in the set, especially with kind of, there's, there's, a, there's a pretty creepy fade out, and I think that that sets us up really good for the, the haunting nature of I our next song. I think this is song.
1: Ethan's favorite song. Ooh. Am I right? I... No. Oh, then I know exactly which one it is. Okay, this is my favorite song. This song is Cemetery Gates. This is off my favorite... Currently, I haven't listened to every Pantera album, but I already know I want to um, after this episode. But my currently favorite album, Cowboys From Hell. And this was the song that actually got me into Pantera. And when I first heard this song, it was like it, it changed the way I thought about music forever. And the opening is so soulful there's so much emotion in just the first instant of this song and then you go through when when Phil's singing he has such a good clean vocal and there's so much yeah packed into that and it's something we wouldn't I, I was really, really return to I, and, and, and whenever i heard his vocal that clean and you wouldn't expect you know anything to come after that? You expect them to go into the rest of the song, but then Dimebag comes in with arguably the greatest guitar line in my opinion of all time. When I when I first heard, there's very few songs I've ever done this with. The only other time I can remember ever doing this is Steve Vai's um, G3 performance in I think '99, uh, when he did a guitar solo, and then ended that and went into "For the Love of God." When I first heard that, I had to pause. And start over to listen to that again. But when I first heard this song, and it goes into the rest of the song, I just I had to take a second and I had to process what I had just listened to. And I'm not yeah that main that main riff is one of the nastiest. It was the he's main riff down. that got me. It was that solo, that opening solo. When, oh, the solo! Yeah. That, oh yeah.
0: One of his one right, of his all time. When, I, when best. I
1: first heard this, I I literally cried. I couldn't even listen to the song for, after finishing the song, I couldn't listen to it for another week because I didn't want to like feel the emotion <laughs> behind it. It was just, it was so, it was just so much.
0: Well, I put this song at number five on the ranked Ooh. list.
1: Oh, it should be at number, yeah, okay, five, fine. I won't argue.
0: Top five. Top five is really yeah. tight,
1: and really, just like Pantera's music. Yeah, it's tight, th- but this is my favorite song, just just because of the story yeah, I- that 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 goes around it for me. What is the
2: what is the story? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the story for me, but but the oh. the actual story of the song, I don't know. I know it's about someone you love dying and wishing you could go with yeah
0: them. so pretty much pretty much this is a um, you know mm-hmm. you have like the it's it's almost like a a step forward in what your typical metal ballads of that time were so like metallica really popularized the the metal ballad with fade to black and sanitarium and one where you have these, you know, the calm verses and the heavy choruses. And usually, um, in some ways, all of these ballads are about death. Uh, like, really, you could say that the first one was Judas Priest Beyond the Realms of Death. You could say that that was the blueprint that everyone is taking from. And of course, Fade to Black being uh, the other really big one, power ballad about death and metal and this one it really kind of takes it a step further because it's not just about facing mortality but about you know the mortality of someone else and the the wishing to kill yourself as well because you can't live without them yep and pretty much it's just the whole um the whole song is just you know trying to grapple with the death of a loved one and wondering if you can make it through without them. Wow. The Reverend, Reverend, is this some conspiracy just kind of, you know, almost going through the stages of grief. You've got the um, you've got the denial, you've got the, the bargaining, you've got the um, the acceptance. I will unlock my door and pass the cemetery gate.
2: Mm-hmm. Cool. Is is, I Will Unlock the Door and Pass the Cemetery Gates a, a, a metaphor for him killing himself?
0: I think that it's meant to be ambiguous. I think you can take it either way, either saying that, you know, saying in the literal sense of, you know, going to the tomb and maybe perhaps paying respects yeah. or... Um, it could be metaphorical in the sense of that you know his he's killing himself and his body will be taken to the cemetery to where they can eternally be together.
1: I would argue it's the second. I think if, that it's.
0: I would. That's probably what I'm leaning towards. But there's not an. I concrete. would say
1: yeah, there is, You're right. There's nothing concrete. But I would say that the end. Yeah. It sounds like he's screaming in pain at the end.
0: Yeah, which be that's pain. besides solo. There's that's the famous part of the song is the is the high notes and especially if you when you've never heard it before. I remember the first time I'm hearing it. i had always heard about the famous high note in uh, Cemetery Gates, and so he does the first one. And I was just like, oh, okay, that was pretty high, but not that high. And then I hear him do a second one. I'm just like oh, and then he does that third one. I'm just like oh,
1: there it is. Yeah, it was. It's way up there. He he can almost sing Doomsday for the Deceiver.
0: <laughs> hmm. He said that he he said that it was hard in the studio to get that note. That he tried for several days to get that note, and then he finally got it. And he was just like, okay, we're done. We're not yep. doing that again. Yep. <laughs> And it's also the main reason why they would never play it live is because it was just that those notes were so hard for him to hit that he was just like, no, we're and, not going to bother the, with that this. whole
1: album, you mentioned there's a lot of, you know, Jewish Priest influence. Bill does a mm-hmm. lot of high notes in an album. I mean, you listen to Psycho Holiday, they're just kind of thrown in there just as a little pizzazz.
0: Or shattered, Yeah. Shattered's, like almost exclusively high um, singing.
1: One of our six worst songs, which I don't think deserves to be there, but you'll just have to tune in for that, I guess. Um there's some high notes in there. And it's not even that intense of a song. So, anyway. But it's it's weird because you would expect it to be on like Vulgar Display of Power having listened to Cowboys from Hell, but it's not. And I think that 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 would be a reason why now that you mention that. That That, Cemetery Gates would be? story of Cemetery Gates, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, this song definitely, I would say this is the kind of song that shows the crossroads that they were at because they would never make another song
1: Mm, like this. Would they, though? Yeah, they would. No.
0: I mean, I mean, just saying that they didn't. They didn't really make another song that's that packs this much melody. I mean, yes, the subject matter is dark, but it's really not that dark of a song.
1: Yeah, but Music, also... It's got... Okay, I Raise You, They've Never Done It Again. No, I See You, They've Never Done It Again, and I Raise You, Floods. There's a lot of melody in Floods, and it's also super... Packed with emotion too,
0: but but floods also is really brutal. Yeah. Okay, it's got some so punishing down
1: But it's not Pantera the same kind that, though. Is that very weird band that you can listen to them in any mood? There's a, there's a song for every oh, yeah. mood, and some of the song like the songs will always put you in the mood they're meant to be. A lot of their songs will make you Mm -hmm. angry or fired up or, you know, like, motivated or whatever. But there's, you know, Once in a Blue Moon, they will have a song like Cemetery Gates or Floods that will make you cry. And they're they're one of the very few bands that can do that to me.
0: Sonically, though, the songs are very different. As far as just like you know, you've having a song that's got like a a bright acoustic part to it, and the high soaring vocals, and um, even that kind of guitar solo. The guitar solos in "Cemetery Gates" and "Floods"
1: are two but very different. But they both styles. sound so soulful.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're absolutely and the soulful, outros. Are but both so I get iconic. the sense that this is this is. This is one of the sonically lightest songs in that their discography. True. And so uh, that's that's kind of the mode that I'm going to as far as just it's got a lot of 80s in it. That is
1: also it. very true.
0: You can hear a lot of a lot of 80s sounds and they and what I'm saying is that in that sense they don't ever really make songs no. like that again.
1: No, I'd agree with that.
0: Where you've got that much brightness and how everything again it's still heavy but they would constantly be moving towards heavier and when they do do the emotional like floods floods is so dark and so heavy and everything is so down tuned and gross sounding but in a good way I I love floods but yeah that's I don't I don't they're not sonically the same. I guess that's what I'm... And also, this is the longest song that
1: they ever recorded. Wow, okay. Well, they picked a good one to have their longest be.
2: I did not feel so like you... it was that long.
0: I know. That's the, that's the mark of a good long song is that you don't feel What is length. it, like
1: seven something?
0: Yeah. It's seven and a half. For
1: Pantera, that's an eternity.
0: Yeah, that's, that's about as long as they ever get. So, Ethan, what what kind of journey did this song take you on?
2: I, I knew... You
0: said that this song surprised you a lot.
2: I, it surprised me because I, I didn't think that Pantera would do, like, the kind of acoustic intro, like, bat, rock ballad thing, you know? Like, whenever it came mm-hmm. on, I was just like, oh like especially coming out of coming out of walk like i i was just like oh okay we're here now like in a good way and i yeah. loved the first minute minute and a half the first minute and a half i was just like dang like i'm really surprised that we've had a minute and a half of this you know um and then it just like hits you right in the face with that riff you know and then it's mm-hmm. like okay here we go and then it goes back whenever it goes to the verses it goes back down I'm just like wow like I, it's just I, I wasn't expecting this band to like do that formula I guess I thought it was a great yeah. addition to the set I think it sits in the fourth song spot really really well uh, especially like usually it, it like commits to that band <laughs> Like at the end, it just commits to it through the high notes and everything. It's just like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. it's it's just a well constructed song. Yeah,
0: usually I try and the the fourth song is usually very, always serves a very intentional yeah. purpose. Usually, songs one through three were heading in a specific mm-hmm. direction, but usually there's some kind of climax yeah. by three that four is where the set has to change yeah. in some way. And, you know, sometimes I like to have the ballad at the fourth spot. Sometimes I like it at the fifth spot. Sometimes I like it at the end. But usually, you know, the fourth song is going to be your indicator that the set's about to move in a different direction and lead to our Mm -hmm. ultimate ending. So, next we get to our fifth song, which is my Mm. personal
1: favorite. I think that, Grant, you are Uh, I mean, given the two that are, yeah. Given the two that are remaining, I'd have to say yes. Plus, we also we've played this together before.
0: Yes. Yes. Domination.
2: This is also my favorite. What? Oh, thank you. Really? (laughs) The, The second I heard it, I was like, holy crap. This is amazing. This is
0: your. (laughs) Not only. Not only is this my favorite Pantera song, this is one of my favorite songs of all time by anyone, period. This is the song that if I need a boost of adrenaline and I need to just get my whole body a jolt of electricity, this is the song that I put on instantly. I just. Go into primal, <laughs> primal mode and just, I just feel like I can do it.
2: I was gonna I say, right whenever I heard this, and again, like, there's so many metal genres, I, I i don't know which songs lean more to diff- whatever different styles. But, like, the second that this came on, I was like, this song is just hit, it just hits different than even though I'd say Mouth for War was still like up tempo this song is just like right out the gate it's just like oh yeah
1: like just
2: i was just like yeah
1: this is great see ethan i think you would like cowboys from hell i think you would like that album
0: cowboys from hell is a is a great of if you're gonna pick any album that or vulgar like those those both of those albums are just great first steps into Pantera. First. It's why
2: I mostly pulled from those records to put this mm-hmm. set together. And this is where I really felt Pantera's tightness. Like whenever they yes. got to the halftime, like it's it's like that double time more thing. And it's like I was just like, dang, really cool. Mm-hmm.
0: There's so many. There's so. This is a song that just. It's a gift that keeps on giving. It just keeps giving you awesome moment after awesome mm-hmm. moment, and every time you think you've seen the last of it, it gives you something else. Like so, you yeah. Of course, this first time it hits you, it just boom. You've got those those great rhythmic verses. Well, it way way, yeah, but yeah, you go to. the Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the digga digga down. Ah, digga digga. And then, yeah, the the post-chorus when it mm-hmm. goes into that groove. And then this is actually my personal favorite Dimebag Ooh. solo. This solo is just like perfect to me. It's It's got such a great flow to it. The shredding is incredible. Um, and just... It has so much attitude to it and I love it. And then yeah, you think that the song's gonna climax and then oh the breakdown at the end. Oh happens. yeah. <laughs> one of the one of the sickest, most punishing breakdowns you ever have put, If you've not headbanged
1: take. before, you better have money for a neck brace, cause oh my lord.
0: <laughs> I've thrown my <laughs> neck out before to this song.
1: Yeah no i'm not surprised because it goes so like hard just like i think like when i think of um like a like a 2 a.m bar performance by a metal band and everybody's like jamming i think of this breakdown like that's the Mm -hmm. that's the image that comes to my mind Something that I
0: forgot to uh, mention in the influence about the things that Pantera brought, breakdowns were not a thing until really? Pantera wow. came around. I didn't know that. I mean, again, it was a rare thing. Like, Raining Blood's got a really great breakdown in it. When it goes bam, the... Ba-dum, ba-dum, da, you could say that that's almost like the first breakdown. But Pantera brings it out. I would say the first big instance being here, but then all through their next albums breakdowns are pretty common and of course now it's all, they're almost cliched in mm-hmm. metal now yeah like okay here comes the breakdown but when pantera was doing it that was a, a new concept to just slow the riff down and just like have these monolithic uh, stomping grooves
2: that was that was pretty well, I much I guess that makes sense because everything was just about trying to be as fast as possible and as insane as possible and so <laughs> the, the concept of like no no slow it down mm-hmm. so much that it's actually
1: good <laughs>
2: yeah and it's interesting that, that it gets
0: introduced on what would be the fastest song on the set yeah
1: they they lose like 200 BPM to go to the breakdown <laughs> <laughs>
2: And the effects that yeah, they have just... on the snare were insane. Like, whenever I heard it in my car... Oh, it's on Aldi, drum. It's, like... But, well, like, just... They just crank the effects yeah. up on the drum kit for this part. Yeah. And it's so cranked up mm-hmm. that it's, like, almost delayed. And, like, it's, like, slightly... Ev- it's, like, so cranked up that it's delayed. And it's just... It's, but it's so cool.
1: It sounds like a whole bunch that, of and That's
2: fever. right. Yeah. It's like a little bit of delay and then like just a crap ton of yeah. reverb.
1: Yeah, it sounds like they're in like a, like a warehouse or like a giant um, one of those steel like shipping containers. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what it is, is a steel shipping container.
2: <laughs> but I think this song is my yeah, favorite. Just, in- it has so many again, it just has so many parts that are just good and then it just like left turns but I don't, I don't care that it takes the left turn that it takes it's the right move now, and I, I just never got bored with this song Ethan
1: you did just note that drum part that uh, and we talked about how Vinnie Paul has um, that he's not a super technical drummer that he will let the, the rhythm breathe he'll let the groove breathe if that makes it better and he has a really good feel yeah. for that. And that's very, very true on the breakdown too. The entire breakdown, it's just boom.
2: Boom.
1: Drum beat number that's one. That's it. That's all it is. This the whole but it's so intense that you wouldn't you wouldn't notice it unless you like picked up on like that specific fact and like specifically looked at the drums. You wouldn't have thought. So I think there is something
2: interesting to be noted here with drums specifically, and I'll, I'll relate drums to guitar in this way: where it's like there is sometimes when a simple guitar line with the right tone is the move, like walk, and that's 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 really common with guitar players. Get, like guitar players are taught from a very early age that like tone is like extremely we are. important, and sometimes. <laughs> but drummers are not taught we're not taught that at drummers, all. drummers don't they almost have to learn that later unless they have a great teacher like how important drum tuning is and but but other than tuning drummers don't have a ton of control they don't they don't have nearly they can't do as much with their drums as a guitar player can with their guitar but on this part particularly It is drum beat number one, which is, like, the first drum beat that you ever learn as a drummer. But the effects that they have on the drums and how they sound, like, I think that that part would have been a lot less cool if they wouldn't have had the effects on the drums.
1: Oh, for sure.
2: You know what I'm saying? And and that's why I'm comparing it to Guitar Tone, where it's like, he's playing the right thing, but it, it, like, times a thousand on on the placement because of what they did to how the drums actually sounded and then uh, it's just everything yeah it's just the the and and it's and it's interesting that's like that's like the breakdown and and we had not had a breakdown before so that's also like from a mixing engineer standpoint like he's never been whoever mixed this has never been asked to mix something like this mm. ever in their entire life you know <laughs> and they're like what do you want to yeah. do it's like i just need it to go really slow but it needs to sound huge he's like uh like this and like, know the drums need to sound massive and he's like i guess i'm just going to turn up the reverb then and then they're like that's the exact <laughs> sound we want <laughs> you know i like that's probably the the exact conversation. Like, do that, and this sound in, poor sound engineer is probably like, "Well, yeah, okay. the, you know."
1: And it ends up becoming this iconic. Right. The the thing about Pantera is this like the sound engineers. It's just it's a nightmare for them because the guitars are so scooped, and the drums are so clicky that it's going to be very very hard to sound to make anything sound huge it's very easy to make it sound brutal but to be able to distinguish things and be able to make the sound actually you know sound big and sound imposing that's very hard and I think that that the sound engineers throughout their career have done an excellent job and Pantera would not be the band where they were if they did not have the sound engineering that they did
0: Yeah. Well, uh, this song I put at number two Ooh. on the list is
1: the next one. Number one. I figured what is it? It is one? not.
2: Whoa. Uh, oh my gosh. Feel like, no, you. You we'll save it for after hours.
1: Yeah, well I'll, I'll say what it is in wait. after hours. Okay. All right. So let's go ahead and go yep. to our next song.
0: The Yes, the last song on our set is number three on the list. Okay, and that song is
1: "This Love." You take this love,
2: which
0: I think is a really cool way to end the set because this is a kind of like domination. This song has some very serious oh, yeah. left turns in it, and it's just again, it's kind of like every. Time you think you've got the song figured out, it throws you for a loop, but it like in the best and way this is, possible. This is another
1: great example of Vinnie Paul doing some great drum brews and some drum change ups and stuff that like throws you off, even as a guitar oh, player. Yeah. Like it threw me off crazy when I first heard this song. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, I expected you to put hollow at the end because that ends Fulgur Player Power. But, you know, I realize now why you did this, love. And it's because it kind of does bring us kind of full circle on like everything we've talked about. Like, you have the slowness from from Cemetery Gates and the fact that it builds up, but you have the intensity from, and the intensity and the groove from some of the earlier songs. As well as probably the most
0: intense vocals on the set, which I think vocals. Definitely help lead to the climax. I mean, if you're listening to this point and he gets to the no more head trip and then yep. that scream, I mean that will send chills and, down and your This spot. solo
1: is one of his best because it, he does the whole yeah. Jimi Hendrix thing of like jumping outside of the scale every once in a while, and it just kind of it kind of keeps you on your toes, you know, a little bit, and it sounds so great. He's not what like, he's mm-hmm. not necessarily playing 20th, super fast. One of his soulful things, super fast. He does some fast like flurries and stuff in there, but it's every note. It's like a David Gilmour solo. Every note is there for a purpose. So uh-huh. I don't know what this song is about, but I think it's something about like a love hate relationship.
0: So this is actually about post-breakup and about the conflicting emotions that you feel. The the somber verse parts are all of the sadness that you feel, and then when it cuts to the chorus, it's the anger that you sometimes feel immediately after or at the same time even. Mm -hmm. It's 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 the conflict between regret and almost in some way wanting that person back like, it's flip-flopping between, please come back, I need you, and F you, I never want to see you again, I hate your guts. Which, if you've been in a, in a serious breakup before, you tend to feel both of those, and you really don't know which one you're going to feel next.
1: Which kind of plays into the song.
0: And so, yeah, and so pretty much it's like, this is like an anti-love song,
1: leave it to Pantera in a way
0: that's what it's that's what I've heard it described as before and I think that it's an interesting uh flip on the the love ballad where again yeah you hear you hear you get into the song and you just you're thinking it's just going to be a even you know putting cemetery gates in. where yes it it jumps between dynamics but the but it doesn't shift drastically usually except for of course just at the very beginning um this I mean it is about as drastic of a turn as you can get from the verse yep. to the chorus yeah. and so um and then yeah it goes that that uh riff that it goes into after the second chorus that's one of my favorite pantera grooves ever I th- that's like one of those ones you hear and you're just like, this is one of the tightest metal bands we
2: ever. We get two breakdowns. And then
0: two bre- two incredible breakdowns. So this is what I'm saying. Like once Domination set the standard, you started to have more and more Pantera songs experimenting with this. And um, both of the breakdowns in this song, I think, are so good. Mm-hmm. And to me, it just this is this, this really works well as a final song because you can definitely feel that the song is leading to this breaking point, especially after the last chorus. And he keeps saying, You keep this love, and you just feel the tension rising. Yeah. And then it goes to that final breakdown, and you could almost think that it ends there, but then it comes in with that last. Little those the guitars at the end, and it just really leaves everything
2: on a chilling, haunting note, which is exactly where I wanted to leave and it think at the end. For for songwriting purposes, that the the fight between, uh, oh, I love you and I wish you would come back, and I hate your guts, like go away. I don't ever want to remember you. You know, I think it's interesting mm-hmm. that we get you. Almost feel like this. It's like we don't get any more, like, love parts for a long time, you know? And, like, the second half, it's only the anger part, mm-hmm. you know? And it's anger, anger, mm-hmm. anger, anger, anger. Everything's anger. It does a breakdown, and you're like, oh, it's just so angry, and it's so brutal. And then it, and then it's, like, it ends, and then it goes back to the verse part, which is, like, the love part, and it just fades out. So it's like, I'm so mad. I'm so mad. I'm so mad. I'm so mad. I hate you. Well, I you hate you can also argue you so that the
1: solo is very sad and, and like yeah. watching them back. But yeah, I love
2: the I to love me, the the conflict th- where it's like I'm mad and it's like from a storytelling perspective and then it's like that line comes in and it's just like, but like darn it, I still love you yeah. though.
0: hmm I'd kill
1: myself so for kills. you. I'd kill you for yeah, myself. Yeah, and it's like um when he says in the in the opening verse he says um, I said I loved you but I lied and I'm like Ooh.
0: yeah it's he's putting yeah and he's putting the the response when he's in the sadness he's blaming himself you know saying it's my fault and uh, sometimes I feel so sorry um, I regret the things that I did But then when it gets the anger, it's shifted
1: uh, to it's your fault. Yeah. You know. Like you can, you basically, you can tell from the beginning with a title like This Love and with a line like that and with the guitar part in E Phrygian, it's going to be a little off. You
0: know? Mm hmm. I just, yeah, to me, the the ending guitar parts, it's almost just like, it's almost like oblivion in a way in the same way. I think we can, we we're going to find ourselves going. Yeah. Back to I was just burden, thinking about that where it's this, it's this, it's the inability to reconcile the two emotions and it just leads to like crushing loneliness and yeah. And nothing just fade off into the oblivion.
2: Yeah. Man. And I'm
0: finding that that's becoming one of my favorite places it's to end sets different. because I think that it really leaves with this this really interesting emotion. And for me it's all about yeah. those emotions, yep. baby.
2: This is a great it set. A good set. It was great. really fun to a put A great together. intro. It's it's for the band from my perspective, someone that it has not been properly introduced to the band.
0: It's fun because usually every week either you or Grant are the person yeah. that I'm trying to like you <laughs> had a so as you
2: were going through. <laughs> uh-huh,
0: I had you in mind um you know there's other sets where I'm thinking okay, how can yeah. I win Grant over to this band. <laughs> uh and so it's it's good because it kind of forces me to not just put what do I want to hear but I kind of I have like a an audience in mind that I'm just like okay I think that if I put together this set grant or Ethan depending on who it is that week will really like this band a lot more and appreciate them and maybe become a fan because yeah it was um I was so tempted to to get some of the really heavy stuff in there but i was just like for our first episode we're just not quite ready for that we'll we'll take the deep dive next time on volume two and we'll actually get to i for sure the next set will include the number one song number one song So we'll go ahead and take another break here. When we come back, we're going to give our final thoughts and wrap things up. So stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Ethan. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just got done listening to our songs for the week from Pantera, which were Mouth for War Becoming, Walk, Cemetery Gates, Domination, and finally This Love. And now we are on to our final segment, which is our final thoughts. So, Grant, what are
1: your final thoughts for Pantera? So, obviously, I really like Pantera. I think I mentioned in the first segment that if I had to choose my four pillars, Pantera would pretty much 90% sure be in them um i really love dimebag's tone i like the the like the total like wrath coming from the music of pantera and just the intensity and the fact that it just it kicks you in the pants like every 2 seconds and so obviously they're one of my favorite bands so it's going to be really hard for me to increase in appreciation for them but it was interesting hearing their story you know because that's something that I hadn't really got into that's usually the last thing I get into with bands usually I'll I'll dive really deep into their music first and then only then once I've listened to everything hear their story but this is is very different I haven't listened to every Pantera song I've only listened to probably closer to like 70% of the stuff from Cowboys to Hell to Reinventing the Steel um but before we recorded this episode I had noticed that and Lucas sent out the the six worst songs um and I noticed that out of all of the songs that we had from our six songs playlist and our six worst there were only five albums represented and so you know and, and the six songs are the six worst songs are still pretty good um and so, you know, I had to, I did a quick Wikipedia search and, like, they only had five albums of that really good era. And that kind of just shows you that it's like it was, like, they did not write a bad song, you know. Well, okay, they wrote one bad song, but we'll get there, in my opinion. But it was very hard for them to write a bad song. They were completely, it was just greatness after greatness after greatness. They had some kind of formula figured out that they could put out utter brutality and great sounding melodies and interesting lyrics. And I, although I didn't grow very much in appreciation from talking about them, I was just, I really liked hearing about their story and all that. I grew in appreciation just from the utter fact of realizing how little music they had and how just jam-packed, full of goodness it really was. And that, I think, is is a testament to how good they are, more than just how many good songs they have, but that that ratio being so high. So, mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. That's what I'm thinking about.
2: Yeah. I think for me, obviously uh every time that uh there's an there's a band breakup because of something I have to do the obligatory don't do drugs kids <laughs> because it rips things apart uh, yeah I think for me and and this is gonna sound to all the pantera fans out there the uh like i like Pantera was not even on my radar at all like mm-hmm. not even like if someone came up to me and said hey do you know Pantera I would be like yeah and they would be like name one song and I would be like I have no idea how to answer your question <laughs> you know so <laughs> I, it's like they were a big deal because, you, because they're like you know of them because they're but I didn't know why I had known of them you know to, to know that they carried the, tor- the torch after Metallica and how they evolved the genre is really interesting to me uh and so I would say the set list for me it it put them on the radar for me and it gave me context to why they were so important. I would probably say for me not to take anything away from Pantera. I think I just this like you mentioned like there are bands that either started to emulate Metallica, and there was that style, and then there are bands that kind of start trying to emulate Pantera and uh, all the underground stuff that uh, Philip Anselmo was digging up to kind of put in the mainstream with Pantera. They're like two different directions. I'd probably say I naturally gravitate more towards the Metallica direction, like the, the, the cleaner, more studio-produced, more, it's probably more kitschy, honestly, uh, metal not to not to take anything away from them though either you guys kind of get what i'm saying like stylistically but again like just to even have pantera on the radar for me and and to hear like i pretty much whenever i was listening to the set i was like okay i kind of it's hard it's grungy it's it's pantera and then domination played and i was like oh oh it's this you know (laughs) Mm-hmm. And then wh- whenever I re-listened to the set again, I was like, okay, so it's the six songs that Lucas gives the most context on, and I felt like Domination solidified them in the genre for me and gave me an appreciation, like, and especially after we talked the history. I was like, so all the slow stuff that they're doing that is typical now for to hear from metal, I was, like framing it and like, this wasn't done. Like, this is this is their sound the thing that they brought to the table. Uh That's my final thoughts is just like being kind of a, a genre creator in a weird kind of way. <laughs> uh, so that's my final thoughts.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I kind of lived a little bit in the same boat as Grant, not so much so that I love them so much that they were in my four pillars. Although, in a drumming sense, you could say that they, uh, in a different house, the house of drumming, Vinnie Paul is a pillar. Um, there probably, there was inevitably not going to be a lot that I can grow an appreciation for because I already knew them really well. I was already a massive fan. They were massively inspirational for me. Um, for me, the biggest thing that i grew in was this was their story in the sense of for the first time listening to their pre-rebirth records i think it it gave me a lot of context to actually concretely understand where they came from because i always knew about their glam period i knew that it existed but i'd never given it the time of day before and I never had gotten into the nitty gritty of the details of that transition period from that power metal record to Cowboys from Hell. Um, and that was really cool to see a band that just at the point where they were finally getting their big break to just say almost in a you would think they were throwing it away. Because usually you once you work really hard and get the break that you need, get the deal of the lifetime, that's usually when you do what you've been doing the whole time. And instead, they do a complete 180 and start moving in this new direction. But as you can tell from this episode, it was the best possible decision they could have made but most bands would not have made that decision. And my respect for them in that way has grown for them quite a bit. Um, Getting more familiar with the catalog, especially putting together the ranked playlist. When we talk about these bottom six in our after hours, this is going to be one of the strongest bottom six we'll probably ever do. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously, the bottom six would be way weaker if Spotify had the Glam records. (laughs) It would probably all be exclusively from that. But from what we have available in streaming from those five records, I mean, good God. There is just... They have one of the strongest catalogs of any metal band. I mean, it helped that they didn't stick around long enough to make a series of bad records. But I think that even if they had, they wouldn't have made a stinker. Yep. It was just it was just in their DNA to write great metal music.
1: I will definitely be giving a lot of hot takes in this After Hours. Yeah. <laughs> and trying to justify why every single one of these songs shouldn't be in the bottom <laughs> six. Well, okay, except for one. <laughs> but... Those of you on Patreon have access to that. So if you don't have access to that and you want to, find our Patreon. So, um, and for everyone else, thank you so much for listening to this
0: episode. Uh, If you liked this episode, make sure that you subscribe and that uh, you check out our new episodes that come out every Monday morning, 9 a.m. Central. Next week, we're going to be continuing our music history series because it's going to be the last Monday of the month, and um, we are going to be talking about the religious music of the high Middle Ages. Doesn't that just sound so exciting? <laughs> <laughs> That's totally not boring at all. Uh, we we ex- have a lot of fun making those episodes, and hopefully you guys enjoy listening to them and um make sure you check us out on social media on instagram and facebook and leave us a comment leave us a review something to where you can let us know what you think of the podcast and what artists you would like for us to cover in the future and with all that i'm lucas i'm grant and i meet you. keep on listening to good music